Hi, this is Cam Smith, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Eat It, a weekly radio show about food and drink broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website. Hey, guys, why don't we eat? Dear, don't call the boss. I'll have your spam. I love it. I'm having spam, spam, spam. little button means that we are go for the afternoon and so are you out there a very very good afternoon to all you groovy listeners out there whether you're doing it in that present moment or in the future or maybe you're looking back in the past it all gets kind of confusing mm. doesn't it but we're here and i'm so glad to say it my name's cam smith i'm looking across Oh, g'day there, Cam. It's Matt Stebbin here. Oh, g'day, mate. How you doing? Uh, we, and it's as of the time of broadcast, it is the 23rd of May. You might be listening to this yes. in hours or weeks into the future, but you won't or, be listening to it before then without a time Or check. maybe years. Maybe, yes. maybe, maybe you'll be looking back going, oh, yeah, I remember 2021. Yeah, remember the great blizzard of 2021? Oh, how was it? How was it? Um, but... I'm happy to say there is no blizzard today. No. If you haven't stuck your head uh, out the window or away from the doona, get out of bed yeah. because this is one of those days where you really don't want to be at home. You want to get out and enjoy the beautiful colour of the leaves outside because we're in late autumn. Yes, Melbourne has outdone itself today. I drove here with the sunroof open, just, you know, feeling Did smug you? with myself. No way. Yes. Looking up. Going, ah! Actually, that's a nice thing about a sunroof is that, uh, especially this time of year, as you pass underneath the trees that yeah. still have the leaves on them, you can look up and go, ah, oh, it's a beautiful world. You might even catch a leaf in the car occasionally. Oh. Oh. <laughs> there you go. 
Look at that. There's hey, a, but we, we're there's stuck a, in... There's our... a mental image for you. Indeed. There is. Yes, we are. We're, okay, we're relentlessly driving forward because time is fleeting. Yes. It's like a metaphor for life, this little one hour of radio that we do. In our little soundproof box here in East Brunswick. Mm-hmm. First of all, we look across and we see... Dr. Shane is doing his socials. He's going, what, you want me to stand here? Okay, that'll be good. He's having photos taken with his fabulous guests, who were fabulous. Yes. As was radiotherapy. Yes. We always thank them because they rock. Yes. And uh, now we say that here we are in the present. Mm. And uh, now we look forward as to uh, what is going to be on the show. What is going to be on the show today, Ken? Well, the first thing, um, we have a, a, a wonderful gentleman. His name is Misha Tropp. Mm. Um, he's part of We Are Kerala. And um, he is actually putting together um, a, well, a, a bit of a dinner that's mm. going to be happening uh, shortly, as so I just pulled this up because for some reason it just decided to <laughs> disappear again. It's he's doing a dawat, which is um, a celebration um, and a fundraiser for yes. India. And one of the things that we were talking about before in the studios, we have our little chat, we have mm. our coffee and pastries. If we're lucky, we have a little pastry, yeah. and which was divine. But the very, very fact that this beautiful hospitality industry. Mm. Um, are filled with some people who are pretty loose and kind of like pirates in some way. And I, and that's one of the things that I really do admire about them yes. in my own way. Matt's sort of chuckling to himself, but it is true. I love the, the fact that this is a pretty loose organisation mm-hmm. sometimes. But also, on the other hand, and the serious part is that this hospitality industry that I love so much are also the very, very first to turn around mm. to help others. Mm-hmm. And um, the reason we've got Misha on is that uh, he's uh, organising a fundraiser for India, which is going to be happening soon. And there's been a lot of chefs who have answered the call. Mm. Tom Saraf- Sarafian, uh, Nabil Ansari, uh, Helen Rachura, Matt Wilkinson, Kayleen Tan... Um, Shannon Martinez um, and Tony Tan, who's going to be uh, putting it all together. But we're going to talk a little bit about um, the dinner that's been organised. And also, uh, if you want to help too with uh, aid money to uh, what is a disaster that's befalling that country. So we're going to do that. And then uh, we're going to be going north, 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 right to the border, up to Mildura, where we're going to have a chat to Stefano De Piri. Yes. And we haven't spoken with him for many, many, years. many, many, many. Let's do that again. Many, many years. But he's been uh, in Mildura for even longer. I saw on your excellently prepared notes he's celebrating 30 years <laughs> in Mildura. Sorry. Well, good notes. Hey, thank you. Um, and what a you know what a transformative effect he had on that on that town's food scene when he when he first arrived and continues to do so. It's great. Yeah, well, and and to just reflect on that, Matt. Yeah, thirty mm. years in Mildura, twenty years mm. since Gondola on the Murray yeah, right. came Jeez, out. I'm feeling old now. Uh, hey, join the club. Uh, <laughs> but I was uh, laughing with him before. I said, so, I guess you're getting a few more drone shots than you had with Gondola on the Murray, eh? <laughs> Those and helicopters weren't cheap back uh, in the day. I'll tell you what. Uh, so, look, we're going to have a bit of a chat to him about um, his new series that's mm. coming out. Uh, probably talk about a bit about spaghetti al olio. Um, and also, is there a dish that truly captures this region that he's developed? Ooh, what a good question. That's what he said. Mm. He went, oh, I'm going to have to think about that. I said, what do you think? I'm going to ask you to just fluff? Huh? 
And then, uh, thinking, drinking, we are going to uh, have a chat to Sebastian Rayborn, who yes. is travelling down the highway um, from Detroit. Hometown to of Anther Gin. Anther Gin, there at Federal Mills. Mad if you don't go and drop in there. Mm-hmm. Huh? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got it. Um, so we're going to have a chat to Sebastian. He's going to talk to us. His mastermind subject for this afternoon is whiskey. Oh. Whiskey. See, I'm just freaking out the pop cover there. Sorry about that, folks at home. Uh, so, yeah, we're going to have a bit of a thing. What is whiskey? What do you do with it? Uh, where'd it come from? When do you put an E at the end? Yes. Oh, ponderous. I've often found whiskey to be a, an after-dark drink, so I'll be interested to see how he tackles it. Uh, on a beautiful day today, it's very rare that you would reach for a bottle of whiskey, I think, when the sun is... Out and beautiful, but maybe that's just me. I don't know. I don't know. There was a guy who does that cut on uh, on Triple R that we play occasionally. <laughs> yes. uh, hey, boy, bring me some whiskey. Uh, yeah, we're going to talk to him about that. But, uh, hey, why don't you stick around and join us because it's fun in here. Yeah. And it's nice to be listening to the radio on a beautiful Sunday. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website at rrr.org.au. Uh, we should also, we were just reflecting on the fact that they're Bar Eater. Gosh, they've been great supporters of this station. Totally. We hope that you are supporting them too because yes. they do beautiful, beautiful food. God bless you, Bar Eater. And uh, also, if I could say, Misha Trop, God bless you too. How are you feeling? Are you there? I'm there, mate. How you are, are you? There. You are there. I'm so here. You are so there. It's good. Are you enjoying that sunshine you get out? Yeah, we've walked down to the coffee shop and grabbed a coffee. Mm-hmm. So the sunshine's definitely much appreciated. Yeah. Hey, listen, can you just, before we get started, can you just um, tell us a little bit about yourself, please, Misha, and, and how you fit into this glorious band of pirates that, as I refer to, my lovely cohorts and compatriots in this hospitality industry? Um, so I guess I grew up in Melbourne and I've been cooking in Melbourne for a long time, both mm. in restaurants and then kind of hippie family businesses when I was a kid. Yeah. So I've worked in and around hospitality my whole life. And then at a certain point, probably seven or eight years ago, I realised I knew absolutely nothing about Indian food or the culture yeah. having grown up here. And so I started going to and from India, um, started with just a trip with some friends and then it turned into these days I go once or twice a year to do some food research or see some friends or do things. And the last time I was in India was all through COVID. So it landed December 2019 and only got back in February. Jesus. So you, you, so you spent, paraphrasing, you spent most of 2020 in Bombay, yeah? All of 2020 in Bombay. Sheesh. And, and what, what have you seen? What have you witnessed? I guess initially it was huge social upheaval because you have all of your daily wages who had no access to money, people were laying off staff, the economy shrinks by 24% um, in the space of one quarter and that meant that people just didn't have any way of feeding themselves or no family support because they come from out of town and from small villages or um, different places. And so there was... I think the largest mass migration of people in modern history happened in that first three months. People would walk like 800 kilometres to get home to their families. 
So th- this was a, a disbursement or a disgorging of the cities back to the country, is that right? Totally. And yeah, other right. states, Bombay being a place of a metropolis where people come to find work. Yes, and, um, and a life and, and money and hope. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and also being a place where life's really expensive. So if you work in a restaurant, you might be paid... $200 a month, and you have a place to sleep on the kitchen floor. Yeah, right. So it's not like life's easy. So these guys all of a sudden didn't even have a place to sleep and had no income because the restaurants had kicked them out. Yep. Not everyone, I, I should say. There are some great operators there. Mm. But it was incredibly hard for people to support themselves and know what was happening, especially because there were, I guess if you're the lower socioeconomic class, you don't even understand what's happening with COVID because access to information is quite different. You don't you don't have the phone, you don't have a news feed, you can't just access information that we all take for granted. So Or the education to decipher it. Yeah, well, the education to decipher it. Okay, I hadn't even considered that, Amisha. Yeah. So, um, so being witness to the incredible suffering, the... The, the the mind-blowing reality of what's happening in India and you've yeah. reacted with that and said, look, um, we need to turn around and do something for it. So what have you decided to tell me what you put together and the cohort that you got around yourself to help? So initially I was chatting to Tony Tan about the situation in India and I'd been thinking about trying to do something, so I just put up an Instagram post <laughs> to see who would help out with a dinner. And that that led from me and Tony Tan agreeing to do it to an events company, a new concepts, getting involved. And then it was, from that point, it was just about talking to all of my contacts in the industry, people like Pat Norris have got on board to host... Um, in terms of chefs, Nabil Ansari, Matt Wilkinson, Tom Serafian, Kaylin Tan, Shannon Martinez, and Heli Raichura. And these guys are all, mm. I guess, my peers or people who I would consider better chefs than I am, who have just jumped on board really fast. It, um, it, it shows you the, the sort of the level of human, of some of the human beings that that inhabit this industry, uh, in that they 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 have an incredible depth and big hearts and um, that's part of the reason why I love them so much. Totally, people definitely want to contribute where they are given an opportunity to contribute. Yeah, well, um, okay. So we should um, probably focus on um, where first of all, what event have you planned? I think it's already been booked out, isn't it? Yeah, so we were incredibly lucky. We sold 200 tickets in the space of two and a half days. Yes. Uh, it's at Tutan Max, who have do- kindly donated their time and Refresh Hospitality are going to get a bunch of their staff to work for free as well, yep. plus our contacts in the industry. Um, and then it, it'll be like a long lunch, so sharing entrees, sharing mains, and then our, all, all of our favourite alternate drop dessert. Yeah. Um, listen, Misha, I'm, I just want to preempt what maybe some of our listeners are thinking, going, well, big deal. Why the hell are you talking about this if you've already sold it out? I see a wry smile from Matt Steadman across from me. But I thought it was um, important 
uh, most important to let people know the charity that the money is going to go to so that if others um, give a shit... Uh, they can, excuse my, my French, um, that they can get on board and um, maybe just a, a quick call out to the rest of the sponsors, please. Yeah, to- totally. So in the charity we're donating to is Culture Aid. Culture Say that again. Aid, uh, uh, Culture Aid, K-H-A-L-S-A. So I'm just getting Aid. Matt to write that down. How do you spell that again? K-H-A-L-S-A. Yeah, thank Aid. you. They're a Sikh uh, international aid organisation and currently yes. are doing some amazing work on the ground in Punjab, yeah. distributing food, supporting people, a lot of direct action rather than um, other charities that are more broad picture. Mm. Um, so that's where our money is going and anyone who wants to contribute, I can highly recommend them. Some bunch of Indian friends have done their due diligence and they all say that they're pretty amazing. Yeah, and hey, uh, Misha, tell us where where is your place of um, uh, of of cooking and providing food? Currently, I as of a week ago, I actually don't have a job. So right now, I think this is my focus for the next couple of weeks, and then I've got to figure out what's next. I guess. Well, well, we'll have to keep in touch and find out where you are, but. Um I'd love to meet you personally and, and have a chat and also shake your hand and say good on you, mate. Thank you, mate. No worries. Also, quickly, just uh, give a shout-out to some of the other guys involved. Please do. So, from booze, we have Avani Wineries, PB Wines. The guys at Bomber are going either through one of their new brands or a, through their uh, import company are going to donate some wine. Mm-hmm. Uh, Montalto are donating wine. Vinia Masson. Black Hearts and Sparrows, Bodrigi yeah, are donating see. beer, Cappy are donating, yeah. uh, Point Leo Estate are donating a two-course meal, Whoa. matching wines, Whoa. which will be pretty amazing That's big. to raffle on the day. Yeah. Uh, St. David's Dairy are donating a whole heap of dairy products. They're going to uh, give you a cow. <laughs> no, they're not. Sorry. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> Sorry, I'm being stupid. Yeah, go on. <laughs> they're giving us a hell of a lot of cream and, de- and milk. Yes. Um, North Carlton Meats have kindly donated, Ocean Made, Sensual Foods, and then uh, my friend Dylan at Create PR has done all the PR. So, like, it's definitely a big team effort. Mm. Well, it's, it's, it's worth doing... I think it's worth doing the shout-outs because um, this is a part of who we are, as well as having our educational licence. We are part of the community. Matt's... They're uh, also our friends. And they're also <laughs> they're, our they're, friends. They're, they're, yeah, they're businesses that are run by people who are our peers, and we all need to support them. Misha, lovely to meet you. Um, I look forward to meeting you properly uh, in the time that comes. Have a great night on the night. Say hello to all the beautiful people that have helped out. Um, yeah, that's probably all that we should say. Other than totally. a bloody good on you, and um, let's hope that this makes some sort of a difference. Thank you, Misha. Totally. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. There's Misha, 12.20. We've got to get a wriggle on because yeah. we're going to Mildura after that. Hey, what was the name of that um, uh, charity again that it's all being it is, sent to? Uh, Calsa Aid. I'll uh, whack it on the Twitter. Okay, Calsa. Just do a search for our Twitter feed and you'll uh, find a link. You'll find it. Independent Melbourne Radio 3 Triple R. 
From one masterful chef in Sydney, we go to one of the great masterful chefs in the regions of Victoria. Up there in the northwest of Mildura, we have Stefano De Piri on the line. A very, very good afternoon to you, sir. Good afternoon. I'm not a chef. For 30 years, I've been telling you people I'm a cook. Nah, listen, you're, you're, we know who's in charge of that kitchen up there, so we are going to call you Le Grand Chef de Cuisine. I'm even going to murder some French to do it. How are you, Stefano? It's been a, been a couple footy seasons since we've spoken. Yeah, it's been a long time. I know. What have you been doing? Uh, hey, the same. The uh, the red light goes on here at noon, and uh, and I talk about food, and it's one of the great things that I love doing. But you've been in that area now for 30 years and yeah. uh, it's been 20 years since you did the, what was pretty much a landmark uh, a landmark documentary series because it was all about discovering your place within a region of Victoria. And now that you've had, well, another 20 years to reflect on that, you've just released a new series. Yeah, yeah. This, this one was made during COVID, and there wasn't a great deal of like flexibility given the restrictions and the lack of um, um, ability to access uh, various spaces. Yes. Um, so it's, it's become a bit of a focus on the region as a food bowl. And indeed, this part of Victoria is a food bowl. It's a fact that may have escaped the attention of many, but an enormous quantity of fresh food comes out of this region, and wine, of course. But the wine was for export. Um, but in terms of the food that we use daily, whether it is grapes, oranges, uh, the whole citrus family, whether we're talking carrots or pumpkins or capsicums, you name it, eggplants, it all, a lot of it comes out of here. Yeah, and... But it's seasonal, of course, but uh, this is a huge food bowl. And in this football would not exist without the, the Murray River and, and the Dali. And so in this uh, overview of this particular area to the northwest of Victoria, we actually pay due respect. Uh, we, we reference the water and the use of water and, and the significance. So we concentrate on the significance of water. Uh, factor again, you know, when you live in the city and you go and access your food, from the markets or farmers' markets or whatever, you mm-hmm. you kind of kind of take it all a little bit for granted. Well, I mean, um, yeah, but, absolutely. You know, yeah, uh, and it is important that our uh, people in metropolitan centres understand the significance of our rivers and the water to produce food. Um, and uh, it's happening at a time with rapid, rapid uh, climate change. And so that poses very significant challenges. And the more people that are aware of that, the better. But nonetheless, this is a food, in part, this is a food program. So there's a couple of recipes here and there. But cooking is not the main thing about this, um, this particular series. It's more like introducing people to my part of the world and hopefully... They'll become as enthusiastic as I am. Yeah. 
This is um, – let's just go back on that very, very quickly because I think maybe the one of the most Im- – well, there's a couple of things. One is that the relationships that you have been able to make, you obviously reflect on that because this is a thing, being in the area for 30 years, you get to know people very, very well, but also mm. cause and effect and, and looking at the change – in climate over that time, I was just wondering, what have, what have you recognised and seen in that 30 well, years? Uh, well, a number of things have happened. Uh, when I started Gondola on the Mari, mm. which was a response to the fact that television at the time was showing mostly programmes originating from, from England or Great Britain. Um, and I said, oh, we got a lot of stuff here that are uh, viewers should be able to enjoy. So mm. I said about showing what's happening in the backyard. And at the time, I concentrated on small family farms, mostly people that had migrated here. Yes. But that, if you like, with the ageing of population, those people and smaller farms have been replaced by larger concerns. So one, that's one thing. And with it, there is a certain corporatization um, that yeah. has got some um, significant implication one way or another. Absolutely. But uh, some of the good implication is that they can bring quantities of stuff to the market. Like 20 years ago, you did not have, we did not enjoy Australian-made extra virgin olive oil readily available from supermarket shelves. Now, that, that's a revolution because... Uh, olive oil from Europe uh, and other parts is uh, can be of dubious uh, quality, whereas we in Australia can only make extra virgin olive oil. We only have the equipment for that, and, and we can't produce enough. So what goes on the shelf disappears very quickly. It stays nice and fresh. That's just one example of where going big has, has helped our, our gastronomy. Um, there are things going big that aren't necessarily uh, all that good, but that's for another time. Um, the other, so I've noticed a change in the structure of uh, the way we do farming. Yep. There's still a lot of family uh, uh, control of the farms, and I emphasize that because I would like that to be retained in the future. Uh, we don't want everything to become corporatized. The other thing... In 30 years, and I can assure you that because of climate change, we have lost 30% of the inflows of the Murray River. Now, I repeat that. 30% of the inflows of the Murray have gone. Mm. And there was a conference here the other day, and the prediction is that more will go in the next 20 years unless we quickly um, address the issue of climate change, which anyway will take a century, if we are, even if we're serious about it. Yes. So in the process, we have to be very measured and very careful of what we do with our water. And in the future, I would like a discussion personally on whether it's uh, necessary to produce food for 70 million people uh, and export our water. Yes, I know it makes money for balanced payment and so on, but maybe there are other ways of earning money that are not going to tax the environment so much. But as I said, that's for another day. Mm-hmm. Maybe this program opened the doors on some of those more serious and ponderous issues. Yes. But if you're serious about food, you've got to look at them um, 
with uh, this patient at, uh, you know, a very uh, uh, rational, rational lens. Stefano, um, one of the, the most uh, iconic um, proteins around this area, and this is directly in, uh, it has a direct relationship to stream flows, of course, is the Murray cod. So what is the state of the Murray cod in 2021? Well, precarious. It's been precarious for a long time. Yeah. Somehow it came from... Uh, the fact that uh, professional fishermen were taken out yep. and that encouraged the establishment of some aquaculture. It seems to be going well. I do use it myself. I put some aspect of that on the program. Yep. Uh, the quality of the fish is, is, is good. Uh, I am concerned about the future of our fin fish because even though The Guardian had an article a couple of days ago, and Professor Pitok said, uh, I think he's from the ANU, I think he said no matter how much water we've been, environmental water we've been putting out into the, the system, the, the state of our fish is still quite precarious. And it becomes precarious when you have mismanagement of the Darling River. What, what has been discovered over the last 10, 15 years is that a large amount of our perch and cod actually originates from the, the Darling River. Mm. Now, that has been cut off completely. There's a bit of water there now, but it was cut off about two and a half years ago to the point when there was no water left in the Darling whatsoever from about Menindi to, to, to Mildura. That's, you know, a long distance. There's a lot of um, us that remember that very, very well, Stefano. And you do remember the, the fish dying. The, the fish kill. A, yeah, Menindi fish kill is fish terrible. There was a, a, a howl of protest worldwide. Yes. And I can assure you that I and the local are completely convinced that that is a, that's his mismanagement. Yeah. And um, the habitat, what happens is that the fish are reproducing that section of the darling. And then when a flush of water comes down, then the fishling disperse right through the system. They go up and down everywhere. So it's the hatchery, if you like. And if you remove that deliberately by incompetence or policies that favor one part of the basin over another, you'll end up destroying the most beautiful natural assets we've got in this country. And sometimes I felt like crying. A lot of people responded about it. Um, but in one episode, if it doesn't get cut too much, you will see, you will see, finally some water coming down through Burke oh, yeah. and through Menindi and into yeah. yeah, yeah, I'll be, I'm standing in front of the water flowing down. I think I can from, hear it from the north. Is that what we can hear in the background? Well, no, it's actually, no, it's just static. I thought it might have been water, but it's just a bit of static that we're hearing over over the lines. Okay, let's get on to to happier matters. Uh, one is the great thing about you doing this uh, this show now, as opposed to Gondola on the Murray, is the fact that you now have drones. Uh, so I imagine <laughs> there's there's lots of beautiful shots of uh, of the in, environs, huh? Yes. Look, when when when. When we did gondola, we had a bloke who used to stand on a crate 
in order to get some height. Now we got some. Now we got drones, and and they're used extensively because they're very revealing. Yeah. I, mean, I know you can even abuse them. But they're addictive. Oh because yeah. Because you manage Just... to see so much more and get a sense of place. Yes. That um, from the ground you can't actually. You can't actually appreciate. Well, I tell when you what, we, we, we look forward to, to seeing those. Um, the other question before we, uh, we leave you, and of course we have to ask her, we haven't covered ex- exactly what is the name of this series and uh, when it will be on, but in the time that you've been in Mildura as, uh, you know, uh, making your footprint in that area, is there a dish that you have developed that you think truly captures... The region of Mildura. Yes, yes. It's it may sound um, quite simple, but look, the combination of yabbies from the wild mm. with fresh and tasty sweet cherry tomatoes and a bowl of spaghetti is just you know it combines the simplicity of Italian food yep. with this wild. Uh, crustacean from here and it you know it's the ultimate surf and turf i i you you i had to think about this uh overnight and mm. i said if i were at the you know before the pearly gates and they say what's the last thing you want to eat <laughs> i'll say i want a plate of spaghetti con yabbies and, and fresh tomato and some lovely herbs through it and yes. a drizzle of olive oil on the end and, maybe- and second to that uh, a beautiful piece of like maricon. Yeah, yeah, that that seems whichever to make source, sense. Whichever source it comes to, I was in in Melbourne and I had it the other day with somebody cooked it with a Japanese influence broth. It was just stunning. Uh, whichever way, give me a piece of maricon. Oh, that does sound good. Uh, a, a free kick, please, because you've been so generous with your time, Stefano. What is the series called? It's called Australia's Football with Stefano De Fieri and it starts on this Thursday night coming up on SBS Food at 7.30. Yeah, May 27th, 7.30. Uh, tune in and the great thing, of course, there is always SBS On Demand and you'll be able to, uh, well, to watch it any time you want once those things have gone to air. Stefano, uh, enjoy the beautiful day. It has been a delight to catch up with you after all this time. And uh, we wish you more success, and I hope I get to see you before too long. Yes, I hope to talk to you too soon. Good. Ciao. Ciao. Ciao, ciao. Bye. Stefano De Pieri, the man uh, from Veneto, no, Trevizzo, um, who has made such an impact on the area of Mildura. And you and- can just tell the, the, way, the passion with which he speaks, the... Just how uh, intrinsic and entrenched he is into that region of Victoria for everyone's benefit, and uh, yeah. he's got a got a lot of interesting points around. Uh, geez, I even sure wrote does. that down: thirty percent less inflow in the Murray River due to climate change. Angus Taylor, are you listening? <laughs> Let's have a drink. I think we need some whiskey after that. Well, I was going to play a song, but you said no, no. We're going to get. We don't. Every want to second to... will be taken up talking about whiskey, which seems reasonable. Yeah, we don't want to cut into Sebastian Rayborn's time. He no. came all the way from Detroit. Sheesh. Yeah. Triple R. What a joy it is to look across and see you, Sebastian Rayborn. It is just lovely to be in the studio, <laughs> Matt.
Cam. How gorgeous. It's, it feels like an eternity. Oh, yes, it does. Could, uh... it ha- well, that's because it has. Yeah. <laughs> it's because it has been. Uh, we found that special cut. Well done, Matt, on finding that look, cut. I do my best. You did well, my God. Uh, Sebastian, you've driven all the way down from Detroit. Enough about that. Is anyone going to get offended about that? Probably. Um, <laughs> Geelong Town, where you have been... How long have you been living down there for now? Oh, a few years now, Ken. Yeah, okay. Loving it. The, and uh, at the Federal Mills, you've uh, made that a, yes, a repository of beautifully infused uh, booze. So, We're you talking know, about Anther down there. If you're heading to the surf coast, the Bellarine, or enjoying the glories of the the, the the jewel of the Bellarine, Geelong, to uh, stop in <laughs> nice. at the mills and the you. distillery. You've drank the, you've drank the Kool-Aid, my friend. You really, really have. Uh, yes, indeed. Well, that's one of the great things about Geelong is that it has certainly come a long way in the last few years down there with the, the Deakin effect, you'd have oh, to say, it, little Mallop Street effect, oh, yeah. and uh, your good self. But your mastermind subject for today is whiskey. Indeed. And we thought, well, actually... Cam mm. realised that we need to do a little more history. We yeah. we haven't. We've got to do some history. We haven't done whiskey. booze history for a long time. No, we and, haven't. Um, whiskey, we thought was a, a great one to talk about. It's getting into winter. It was you know International Whiskey Day, mm. you know, a couple of weeks back. So we thought this is a great place to chat whiskey yes. and all things. I'll. I'll Pour something while we're talking. Yeah, baby. Um, yeah, there we so, go. So whiskey is probably the second, well, you know. The second oldest well, spirit? In, in, within the Western, you know, culture, which is, you know, yes. we've got to make sure we, you know, there's a lot of history not not recorded mm. as accurately as it could mm. be. But whiskey, you know, it is it is one of the oldest spirits. So, you know, when the technology of distillation you know, sort of comes, returns to Europe out of the Arabic Empire where because it had sort of that, been perfected. That's where it f- sort of first started, was it not? Yeah, I mean, lots of distillation happening around the world. It's yeah. in Indonesia, you know, at least 7,000 years ago, potentially in sort of what becomes Mexico, that part of Central America, 10,000 years ago. We're certainly not quite sure. That's still under debate. Um, but certainly it was in the sort of, you know, the, the Greek era in that part of Europe and then Persia. Yes. But then it really gets perfected in the alchemical tradition out of the, the Arabic Empire, which then obviously took and conquered most of Europe. You know, yes. all, I mean, all the way up to, to Cognac and nearly Paris was and controlled. Spain. Yeah, that's, that's all of Spain. Don't, don't forget about Spain. And so this technology comes back to Europe and it comes to the wine and it's like, regions. What, what have the Moors ever given us other than maps yeah, yeah. and astronomy yeah, and distillation? Perfume, and, makeup, yeah, yeah. alcohol. Huh? Beautiful art, great ceramics, you know. Yeah, but what have they ever done for us? But the thing is that we had fermentation has been around for millennia, yes, right? The, the ability to sort of let active yeasts come in and change liquids into falling down water um, – <laughs> Has been great, but it needed that scientific impetus to discover distillation, yeah? Oh, yeah. As a general statement. And, and it was this idea to concentrate that that essence, you know, that something special that yeah. was in a wine or in a beer that was different. And, and just about and all the societies then sort of called it this water of life thing. Yeah. Isn't that weird? Yeah, 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 it's yeah. like, what yeah. this? This stuff is... Yeah, yeah, aquavita aqua and all of this. Yeah, yeah. And uh, is whiskey a derivation of... of 
of that. Uh, of course. <laughs> so so this, this technology, it's in the wine regions. They make brandy. Mm. Yes. It moves sort of north and east and, and you get where it gets colder. There's less wine, but there's more beer. So you distill beer and you we're still, get... We're still going to find of, a way to do it. You get the sort of the, 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 the precursor to whiskey. Hmm. And then it sort of diverts a little bit. And the, the, I guess the tradition in Eastern Europe goes into the technology of distilling. Yes. And that path leads to vodka. Right. But in what happens in the north right. is that the technology says, how do we take this hot spirit that's a bit aggressive yeah. and mellow and it? temperate. We're going to put it in barrels. Yes. And we're going to rest it. And so, that part. So we're going to put it on wood rather yeah. than. So, so what were they doing differently in the east with the vodka? Because there it was extracting everything out of the alcohol. Is that sort of? A- uh, look, it's 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 about how do you take something that when you first start making it with reasonably sort of the the start of distilling technology. So it's mm. pretty hot. It's pretty aggressive. It's yeah. pretty wild stuff. Yeah, yeah. And how do you then make that super drinkable? So yes. you know, in Russia, in Poland, and Scandinavia, they would flavor this. So you get aquavits out of Scandinavia flavoured with, you know, coriander caraway. and caraway. caraway. Mm. Uh, you get honey vodkas and cherry vodkas and walnut vodkas right yes. through Poland and Russia and apple yes. vodkas and grass vodkas. So the, but you also... The, the bison grass with like Zabrovka, yes, okay, yeah. But that also, that thing out of Russia and Poland, you then start to get, well, how do we make it better? How do we... And, and they get deep into the tech of distilling until they get something that is... Beautiful when it's fresh. So in Russia, it kept the distillers up all night going, Sergey, what are we going to do? Sorry, stop it. Um, And then maybe they said, okay, we distill it again. And then we do it a few times, which then makes it purer and less fiery and good. But then in Scotland and... Scotland, what do they do? Ireland, England. They I said mean, they're still, wood will you know, help us. They're sort of fighting in the same way that the, the Poles and the Russians are about who invented it. Um, we know the word whiskey mm. comes from Usisbetha, yes. which is Gaelic for water of life. Say of that again because you say that much better than Usisbetha. I ever could. Oh, sorry, I, I talked over you. One more time. Usisbetha, which I, I'm not sure I'm, how well I'm saying it, but I'm having a go. Well, well you're having sure. a better crack than I probably could. And it's very similar in both Irish and Scottish Gaelic. And the, the word whiskey sort of de- derives out of that. Hmm. Um, and it was this idea that you take this sort of twice distilled spirit of beer. Mm. And, you know, when we're up in Scotland and we're in Ireland, you know, it's largely barley. And you stick it in barrel and wait until it tastes nice. So this is, this is the son of beer. When we, when we, have, <laughs> when we have whiskey, it is, it's, it's the progeny. Yeah, of, it is. Of beer, That's right. really. Yeah, hmm. you know, absolutely. So this this is made. This one we're taste, we're tasting some. Um, this is a I guess a special edition of Ned whiskey. Mm-hmm. So this is a whiskey that I had the pleasure to make, um, made in Campbellfield, just outside of Melbourne. But it's in American style, so we're not talking single malt. Yeah. So this is a predominantly corn. Yes. And then aged in uh, American oak barrels. So this one, have a have a taste. Corn. Enjoy. Yeah. Corn. Wow. Indeed. Oh. Did you put an E on it? Mm-mm. Is that right? No, I like that. Okay. That's um okay, first of all, let's let's look at Matt. Matt's just <laughs> sat back and just gone, Yeah. I just, every time I drink I I actually do quite like whiskey, but just 
obviously, it's uh, quite the gear change from a coffee uh, with the alcohol. <laughs> what is the alcohol? No, that's 44 in that 44. One. And dare yeah. I say it, Matt, was one of the, Matt, the things that Matt said was that um, I only really drink whiskey after dark. After dark. Um, but here we are. So there is a real lick of sweetness on oh, this. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. And that's um, partly the oak, partly the corn. Mm-hmm. So where you've got, you know, in Scotland and in Ireland. There's a bit of smoke on the nose. Um. Uh, it's probably just the the structure of the tannin yep. out of the oak. Yeah. So any any smokiness is really just coming from the barrels. Yep. There's no no peat or anything like that. Yep. Through it, but yep. But yeah, that sort of Gee, tradition of whiskey, you know, which you see in Scotland, it sort of gets deep into single malt, twice distilled, hundred percent barley. Great colour too. Thank you. In Ireland, they go into uh, using both malted barley and unmalted barley, and often three times distilled. Yes. So really different style again, <laughs> and then in America. Well, you've sort of got this blending of immigration from Ireland and Scotland mm. using local grains, being corn. Mm. You start to have the rise of this sort of American whiskey, also a little bit of rye as well, but, mm. um, but what sort of becomes bourbon. And it's generally, well, early on it would be twice distilled mm. um, and then aged in American oak barrels. And uh, so this one's, yeah, twice distilled. Um, yes. I've got another one for you. Oh. Wow, that so, one was a little bit more... <laughs> so this is another... Hey, hang about. Our... I've actually noticed you've got corks in your <laughs> yeah. whisky. That's kind <laughs> of a, a rare still, thing these still days. still out there. Yeah. <laughs> you get them here and there. So this is this is another one of the mm. Ned sort of single releases. Pass it that just to, different? to Matt. So yeah. this is really all about barrel selection. So I wanted to bring a couple of whiskies. They've come off the same still, both twice distilled, both predominantly corn. Whoa, um, they smell so different. But these are slightly different barrels. So yes. what we do is we, you know, you go through and you, you make the barrel selection. But I wanted to, you know, I wanted to demonstrate that so much about whiskey. Okay, you've got to start with good new make, and that starts with good grain and good distilling and all of that. But then it's about barrel selection. It's about maturation. Yes. And about aging, and that's really how long this has been. Well, this on one's wood. about two and a half years. Mm-hmm. So some actually, it's a couple of different barrels. Um, some are a little bit older. But that's sort of how big are the barrels? On that one. Uh, this is a blend of two hundred liter barrels and yes. five hundred as well. So, uh, am I right in saying that the smaller the barrel, um, ah. the less time it has to stay on wood because of the ratio of interaction between wood and liquid? I will answer that in two ways. Okay. Well, okay. Let's sit I'll back, say, everybody. Because I'll say yes. Yes. And no. And no. I knew. <laughs> Yes. So uh, the aging of whiskey is a combination of three things. Mm. You've got extraction, so that's how it pulls those oak flavours out of the barrel. Yeah. You've got reduction, so that's evaporation over time. You actually lose different things evaporate faster. The angel share. That's correct. And so you actually want to lose some of the brighter, more aggressive notes. They evaporate out. Yes. And then the last piece is reaction. Yes. So this is actually the chemical relationship between the oak extract, the new make spirit, and the um, uh, and and actually what's happening inside the spirit, and that's where you get sort of much longer chain flavors. So you get softening, you get uh, that beautiful texture on the palate. Mm-hmm. All of that comes from that reactive process. So those three behavior, those three things mm. have to coincide. So if you think about them like sine waves. Yes. And the reduction is happening and the reaction is happening and the extraction is yes. happening. Yes. You want them all to line up. Yes. And so, you know, I mean, anyone who's into Riesling knows Riesling goes through that, what they call the dumb stage, where it's too young to be fresh, 
but it's not old enough to be delicious. <laughs> no better. And it's just yes. like, leave it alone. You yeah. know, it's in the Riesling hole. It needs three more years and then it's delicious. Hey, so that's what I tell Duncan well, all the time when he comes <laughs> yeah. on the show and he hates me for it. But that's the same with whiskey. You know, if yes. you've got the extraction from the oak before you've got the mellowness of the reaction and the, and the, and the change from the reduction, mm. then not in balance yet. So, so this you've is got to wait. As, so it's all of those three have to come together. As you, as you watch your little children develop, <laughs> um, can you tell us the difference? Because um, um, maybe some of us don't know, but the difference between when we talk about a blended whiskey and a malt. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in some ways, it's really simple. Um, yeah. A single malt must only be made of malted barley. Yes. It must be. And the, just just very quickly, what does malted actually mean? Oh, so it's like. Uh, growing bean sprouts on a on a tissue. Yeah. So you take your barley seeds and you wet them and you let them start to germinate. You sprout them and, and then, then you cook them. Then you and, go. <laughs> and you kill them. But that releases enzymes inside the barley that yes. convert starch to sugar. So that, that's that's yeah. malted. Yeast doesn't eat starch, only eats sugar. So you use those enzymes. So yeah. the malting releases them. Thank you. Um, enzymes. So single malt, hundred percent barley, must be the product of one distillery, mm-hmm. and then twice distilled and uh, to be legally single malt three years. Mm-hmm. In barrel on the wood, and then if it's two different single malt distilleries blended, mm. they call that a vatted malt or a pure malt. So still a hundred percent single malt ingredients, but yep. it's not a single malt product. Yes, and then a blended whiskey, they'll use often uh, things like wheat. Uh, it used to be corn, but now predominantly wheat, and they'll make a, a much cleaner spirit. Yes, they'll age separately, and then they'll blend that back with single malt, like a cordial. Yeah, and this is different to American whiskey. Mm which is batch-made like single malt but not from barley. Yes. And different to Irish whiskey, which is batch-made like single malt but not from malted barley. It's a proportion of malted and some what they call green barley. Mm. So in one sense, you've got post-production blending and you've got batch production. Yes. And types of batch production are things like single malt whiskey and bourbon whiskey and Irish whiskey. Mm. And then things can also be blended within that. And we think of, say, Johnny Walker is probably yeah. one of the, oh, the the one that probably yeah. comes to most people's minds. And you know, like anything, you can do you can use those tools to make something wonderful. Yes. Or you can use those tools to drive a higher margin return. <laughs> so, <laughs> using your powers for good or bad. All right. In the mo- little bit of time that we have left, uh, your favourite expression of uh, whiskey in a cocktail? Uh, I love American whiskey and cocktails because of, I was introduced to cocktails and American whiskey through things like the Old Fashioned and the Manhattan yeah. and those drinks, you know, for me I love and a lot of people out there will be saying, well surely that should be rye, mm. but when I started making them I'm old enough <laughs> that we couldn't buy rye and so it was all bourbon and that was yeah. how I Come on. got into it, so I, I really, really love, you know, great American whiskey obviously appreciate single malt and the incredible whiskies coming out of Australia and Tassie and you know, yes. Starwood locally, but um, but I do Starwood, and we have to obviously we have to dip our lids to uh, Bill Lark too, oh, absolutely Lark but whiskey, and now we have to talk about you and, and Ned whiskey as well. Uh, look, it's been an incredible pleasure. You know, we we were there um, actually on Friday. We were doing a, a you know an ABV assessment, and just mm. to be tasting so many barrels and being able to make something locally that's you know lovely, yes, and in the American style. There it is. Loving so it. what are the name of these uh, things in the seconds we have left? The Ned Wanted series. So uh, I think online only, maybe in a few stores. There's actually six in the series, but we haven't finished making the six yet. So yes. I think the third will be released soon. <laughs> uh, well done, Sebastian. Thank you for coming down. 
Pleasure to be back. Oh, my God, it was great and Matt beautiful Cam. to have the bottle in front of us. Matt, it is always a pleasure to see Likewise, you there. Likewise, Cameron. We're going to go and enjoy the rest of this whiskey. We are, and the rest of the day is still here is on next, and then Johnny Von goes, well, don't leave the radio because you'd be nuts. Thank you very, very much. See you later. See you later. Hi, this is Cam Smith, and you've been listening to the podcast of Triple R's Eat It, a weekly radio show about food and drink, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoyed the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website. 